Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Hello, Dave Jones. How are you? How you doing, Bob? I'm good. I'm good. It's time for the first of two Blue White Breakdown podcasts this week. Indiana Week revenge game, if if you prefer. No, 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 no. James no, Franklin James, does not like James Franklin's that having term. none of that. James Franklin's having none of that revenge we, talk. We, we are here to discuss James's Tuesday news conference. A little later in the week, we'll specifically break down the Indiana matchups and keys to the game. We're going to make our picks, but today is really all about James Franklin and his news conference. I have a couple of thoughts on it. Dave, what kind of struck your fancy, my man? Well, I I got to say, the part about the no revenge, do you buy that? I don't know. The players remember last year's game. They have to. I think, I do think they will be pretty motivated to play Michael Penix and the Hoosiers. Last year's game, I know we'll talk about it in a couple of days, but it was just... Maybe the weirdest game I think Penn State has probably played that I can remember. You you go back a little bit further than I, but man, that was a bizarre game. It actually wasn't that great of a game, and then it just heated up, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, and then you just didn't. It was impossible to predict what was going to happen next. It was a, a, tip, a typical first game of the year in that the first half the offenses looked completely disconnected. Yeah, dreary was the word, and especially with no fans. That was the first time we experienced no fans. You were there. College football game. The only people there were families. So it was just strange. All hell broke loose in the second half. But Penn State had the game in control. Had the game in control. uh, Had they just handled the end game, the infamous uh, end game trouble that they have with time management. And they scored a touchdown they should not have scored. Had they just gone down at the one, they can pretty much run out the clock. And when Indiana had about 50 seconds of regulation time in which to score, which would have been very unlikely. Unfortunately, they scored a touchdown, go up eight points, scoring the tying two-point conversion, went to overtime, and you know what happened. I still don't know if that was a touchdown, a two-point conversion or not. What do you think? I think he was short, but I don't think the officials were going to overturn the call on the field. I, I, I don't know how any other way to put it. It was it was too debatable. I thought he was short, but I don't. I, I thought they were going to stay with the call. I thought live he was short. The question is whether he was out of bounds yeah. or had gotten had broken the plane. Yeah. The second viewpoint I saw after the game, it actually looked to me like the meat of the ball, like the ball is kind of like this, and the point is it could have been hitting hitting out of bounds. But, but the meat of the ball might not have actually broken the plan. Yeah. So uh, certainly they weren't going to overturn it. Anyway, the point is that if they had revenge against anyone, they would probably have had re- revenge against their head coach who uh, didn't make it clear that they did not need to score a touchdown. Now, he said he made it clear. But, I mean, if you let Sean Clifford handle the ball and he's the only one you have to tell or at most tell two running back 
Was it Kevon Lee? I can't remember. No, it was Devin Ford. Carry the ball. Devin Ford. You tell those two not the whole team, look, we can't score a touchdown and make it completely clear. Yeah. Uh, then they don't score. And, and who knows what happens to that season? So it's not like he can really deal with a revenge factor anyway, because he's partly he was partly culpable for the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, he's saying that there's no revenge. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'd buy that or not, but uh yeah. one of one of his little conventions that he had. Uh, what struck you otherwise? Ever since the end of the Villanova game, I've just been thinking a lot about what I have seen from this running game specifically. Not just the Villanova game, but the Auburn game, the Wisconsin game. Ball State, they did run the ball, but Ball State was is just not that very – it's not a very good team this year, and I think they just kind of rolled over. Uh, and Penn State had a very balanced day. I think they ran for like 240 yards. But the other three games, it's just been a struggle. Dave, I'm, I'm starting to come to the conclusion uh, that – that even though Penn State's got a deep running back room and these backs are talented, they are desperately missing a running back that can make the guy miss in the hole. When Penn State was able to run the game, run the ball with Saquon Barkley, you know, there were a lot of times where he made the guy miss. He made the one guy miss and he had the speed to make big plays. The fact that Sean Clifford, after four games, still has the longest rush on the team. I think it's like 43 yards. Um, The second longest rush was Noah Kane, I think 34 yards at Wisconsin. These guys are talented, but they, they, they lack the ability. Um, They can run you over. They can push the pile a little bit, but they, they don't have a home run threat and they don't, when they get, when they get in the hole and it's one guy against the running back more often than not, the guy, they can't make that guy miss. And I think that's one thing that's really hurting them. After the game, what I noticed was where Penn State's offensive line gets in trouble is is when an opposing linebacker or an edge defender blitzes. I think they're real good with guys in front of them, uh, but I think when they blitz or they stunt, I see them not necessarily handling the protection or picking up the guys, whether it's in the middle or outside or it's a blitzing. Uh, There was a play where a blitzing linebacker got Clifford against Villanova and I think Rasheed Walker stayed on a double team to his right and never really got the guy that was coming off the corner. It looks to me like I think there's some communication issues still early in the season. And I think that's what's really hurting the offensive line. I, I know there's been times where they haven't necessarily gotten push. I think Matt Millen, who called the game, uh, mentioned that quite frequently uh, on the Big Ten telecast. But I think it's a, it's a variety of things that's hurting the offensive line. They can look good at times. They were good in pass protection against Auburn. I thought they played pretty well against Auburn. But to see them struggle or to see Penn State struggle to run the ball against Villanova, I just think they're going to have to – this is a passing team, and I think the run's just secondary this year, and I don't know that it's going to get much better. They're 13th in the conference in rushing 3.6 yards of carry. Yes, they played two pretty good defenses in Auburn and uh, Wisconsin. But I, I, I just think that this is not a team that I think is going to, against the better teams on the schedule, is going to be able to run the ball 150 plus yards a game. See, ideally, you want to run between the tackles because it forces safeties to come up and support if you do it successfully. And then that opens up everything for you. They haven't been able to do it. They're going to be able to do it with these guys. So they got to go to plan B. They were able to go outside in the second half against Wisconsin. That opened 
everything up, both with the run and the pass. Uh, it might be this is just going to be a workaround for Mike Yersich, and that's that's the end of it. I don't see any teams other than Alabama uh, who don't have a weak spot this yes. year of some sort. Um, and that hasn't been true in the past. And that includes certainly Clemson and Ohio State. I think you can run on the edge on Ohio State. We've already seen teams do it. Oregon did it very successfully. So maybe they can't run between the tackles. Maybe they can't run inside zone. But I'd look for that maybe in the future. And I think you can do it against Indiana. Yeah, I just I just think that, hey, this is Franklin talked about it. He brought your in big plays, passing games, score fast. If they get to 450 yards of offense at the end of the day, Dave, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it doesn't have to be 150 on the ground. If, they, if they're going to throw for 420 yards, every you're like you said, every team has got an issue. And then the run game, you know, I was averaging 3.3 yards per uh, attempt and they were life and death with Colorado State last week. I just think that you're seeing this is an imperfect conference this year. And, you know, Penn State at least is generating chunk plays. They're at least they, their receivers are good enough, I think, to compensate for a lot um, of what ails the running game. And people will say, well, what happens in a close game? And they can't execute their four minute offense, which is traditionally means running the ball. The solution, Dave, might just be with those receivers, the way they catch the ball, the solution might just be to catch the ball, throw it, stay in bounds instead of running it or like a one of those swing passes that are essentially, you know, extended handoffs. If they're not going to be able to run the ball, fine. They're going to just have to make, they're going to have to be really efficient in the passing game. To move on with Franklin, he also yeah. said something about getting to Michael Penix, which I don't know if you watched the Western Kentucky game, but I watched a pretty good piece of that. You're and crazy. Well, no, I thought that the whole game was weird. I mean, yeah, it was, that was they just felt, Yeah, they just, I think Indiana scored on every possession. And they just <laughs> <laughs> but, but he actually made, and, and it's Western Kentucky. First yeah. of all, why are you playing a game in right. Bowling Green, Kentucky? It looked like you could make that field into, like they could turn it around and make it a dirt track in about an hour if they, if they wanted to. You know, World of Outlaws or something. I just can't imagine a top half of a power conference playing in a place like that. But uh, that was, that was uh, glass, the AD at Indiana's decision years ago. I, I have no idea why they were playing there, but they did get to Penix a couple of times and got right in his face. And he made some better throws than I've seen him make under pressure. Uh, yeah. I would tend to not necessarily try to get to him that much and see if you can just cover with your back seven and make him make perfect throws, which he's not known for doing and maybe let him uh, make the mistake. Uh, I, I know that's not a sexy way of playing defense, but I don't think Penn State uh, has gotten that much pressure. If, how do you feel about the pressure they've gotten on opposing quarterbacks with a basic four? That was another question. Too. So so I think, I think the way that you look at pressure defense and pass rush has changed in recent years because of the uh, advent of the three-step drop and get the ball out quick. It's really not about – sacks it's about quarterback hits and it's about you know forcing the guy to pull the ball down um you you can disrupt a passing offense in a variety of ways it's just getting harder and harder dave to get the pure unless you're playing against graham mertz which penn state was in week one it's really hard to get to a quarterback the way that offenses are designed but it does show up with quarterback hits like arnold ebikiti against auburn penn state didn't have a sack right I think he had four quarterback hits in that game and he just missed 
a couple of sacks where he was coming uh, around the edge. So I think that it's a little bit misleading when you look at, at sacks anymore. I think it's really just about making the quarterback feel threatened. And I think if Penn state can do that, the, the two most athletic defenses Indiana has faced and Penix has faced this year, obviously he's thrown six interceptions in those games. You know, he threw two pick sixes against Iowa and in the Cincinnati game, I think he was intercepted three times as well. I think there's going to be opportunities. Again, we're getting into an, I think there will be opportunities for Penn state to get turnovers and interceptions in this game. There's no question in my mind. I think they have the secondary to do that. The question is, are they going to hold on to the ball? Well, by to your point, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's certainly the Penn State defense is gaining a reputation as quarterback wreckers, career wreckers. First, they got they got Graham Mertz uh, all but benched and started him on a downward trend. And now Bo Nix has lost his job. Did they do both of those? It reminds me of uh, Penn State's. It would only remind me of this Penn State's run 20 years ago in the NCAA tournament where they they got two coaches fired in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But from Tim Welsh from Providence and uh, the guy from he was the guy for the door, Matt Doherty from North Carolina. Those two <laughs> losses, those two losses to Penn State ruined their careers. And it was yeah. a downward arc ever ever since yeah. then. Just when you think Graham Mertz can't sink to any further. Oh, my God. I mean, that that Notre Dame game. Woo, woo, I go back. I, I go back to Jeff Patrikas before the season telling me. And I shocked me at the time. He said the wrong guy transferred. The wrong guy transferred. I said, what are you talking about, Jack Cohn? Well, I mean, yeah. Jack Cohn isn't exactly lighting it Never up. Either, but he's, be- he's a well, better yeah, but, but what is the better but, option. But, you're right. He's a he's game the manager. quarterback that Wisconsin has always yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's right. He's the quarterback they're comfortable with. He's the type of quarterback that they can be comfortable with. And Graham Mertz is not. Graham Mertz is this five-star rocket arm guy they've never had it's like you're da- all of a sudden dating somebody you shouldn't be dating remember when when Ference, um started winning early in his career in 0102 and they they got the surprise uh big 10 title your first year uh undefeated oh yeah brad banks oh two he started recruiting guys who didn't really fit the iowa mold he started going down and down into florida and recruiting a but you get 13 guys from florida I think on the 04 or 05 roster and they went in the tank. They didn't belong yeah. at Iowa. Hey, Kirk Ferentz is so comfortable in six, four games. I just think that's his zone. <laughs> he wants to win 11, six. He wants to win 13, 12. He lives, he lives in the, in those weird scores. First one to first one to 16 wins. That's what he likes to do. No, nothing fancy. He's just, he's meat and potatoes. He butters his bread. That's that's what that's what he wants. He doesn't want anything fancy. He doesn't want anything a la carte. Just give him 17 points and he's going to get you nine wins. I don't know if you noticed he had a nine tight end set against Colorado State. (laughs) (laughs) This is a game I think Penn State should win. But another question today is and correct me if if I'm wrong. I will. uh, Somebody asked him about what he tells recruits when his yeah. name is linked to the USC job. And he completely stonewalled it and said, our focus is on Indiana. I don't know if you've been around the press yeah. conferences, but I've uh, dealt with that and answered that a multiple, multiple times. times. Multiple times. I, I remember him being asked once about this, right? Am I wrong? You are correct. You are correct. Yeah, it was, hey, it was a good stonewall. Give him credit. That's a good stonewall. That's the Heisman. 
That was the, that was the James Franklin Heisman. Our focus still, is on Indiana this week. I just want to. I got to ask you this because I, I just think it was fascinating. He was trying late in the press conference. Somebody asked him about what he thinks of on the way to the stadium. He sees all. Oh this, my and, god! And I, I, I knew. I knew. It, I knew. How I knew does he right. not know the names of any streets <laughs> in State College after eight years? Is that possible? Not even believe it. Not even McKee Street. He doesn't know McKee. James, where is University Drive? Just diagram it on a map for me. Can you do that? <laughs> you know what that is. That's really, and of course, that was a seven-minute answer. That was okay. a, that was a room service question about all for made for fluff. Yeah. Uh, you know, one time I talked to, I think I can't remember whose wife it was. Maybe maybe uh, Norwood's wife or Ganter's wife about their the their lives after they got out of coaching. Might it right. might have been Norwood's wife. And, you know, they had they had five sons, I believe. Yeah, that sounds Dave, about right. Dave, Jordan, three others. I can't remember all of them. I'm not sure who it was. It might not have been him. But she she told me that he didn't know how to write a check. <laughs> it might have been Fran Ganter when yeah. he got out. I think it is. I think that you I remember you said to, yeah. I think it was Ganter. He did not know how to write a check <laughs> because every everything is done by either the wives or support staff or yep. everything. They don't have to know anything. I mean, he's driven everywhere he goes, probably. Sure. It's not like he has to go out for milk uh, to the Jiffy Mart. Uh, you know, he doesn't have to know streets. And it is it is tunnel vision at its finest. But also, do you think he knows the name of his development where he lives? Do you think he does? <laughs> I, I just know that somebody asked me, some, a, a guy I know is coming up from Tennessee He's, he's a Facebook friend. He's not a friend. And he's coming up to see his first Penn State game on Good. Saturday. And he asked me, uh, what are the things I should see or do in State College? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear this answer. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, go to the creamery. Yeah, I know. I mean, what I said, first of all, you'd have to pay me about a million a year to live up there. And then I think Aww. I could... I could bear it maybe two years before I'd, I'd lose my mind. Uh, but I think I could live in State College. I wouldn't mind it. Once you get comfortable with it. it yeah, as long as you have Coors Light, you could, you could live anywhere. <laughs> this is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, CureLeaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at CureLeaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. I want to, here's what I want to ask you. One of the things I want to ask you, not necessarily related to the press conference. We've seen four games. So who are your top three Lions on the team? Who would you say are there three most impactful players. I'll put it that way because it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily maybe relate to stat. I'll, I'll go uh, with you know the, the the first guys I think of always now are I think the the best performing unit, the most unusually well yeah. performing unit, which I think is the secondary. Yeah. I love this secondary. Right. So I, I think of Joey Porter. My answer really has to do with my favorite players more than necessarily my most impactful. Okay. Now is now is he going to be is any 
field side corner going to be uh, he, he's he's a boundary side corner more often than a field side corner, I suppose. Is, is, is that guy going to be the most impactful guy on a defense? Well, not necessarily, but I love him. I love the yeah. way he plays because he's a big corner who can cover and he's yeah. always around the ball. So that's Correct. one guy. All um, right. I'd say Brandon Smith would be another. This defense, they don't have a Micah Parsons, but he's about as close as, as what they have. And, you know, how could you pick against Jahan Dot at this point? Right. He's just made tremendous catches all over the place. Uh, he, uh, has he dropped the ball at all? Uh, all I, I, don't, I don't think he's actually dropped the pass. I think, I think maybe Sean is, has, has not thrown it, you know, within 20 feet of him. So like he didn't catch it, but uh, we've caught those two. His, his ability, <laughs> his ability to catch the ball is, is to me, it's incredible. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Penn state receiver with his hands consistently as good as he is he he can track a ball he can catch a ball he can hand catch a ball that's a bullet I mean it's not that easy to do I know they have gloves on but man it's it's been impressive uh Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson caught all of their targets against Villanova uh they were targeted 12 times that caught all 12 passes yeah and so we're talking about not the 2016 receiving group but not too far off I mean they've got Three tight ends now have, who have all contributed. Are any of them as good as Mike Gesicki? Probably not. But no. but but uh, yeah. col- collectively, they've been very impactful. You're getting Keandre Lambert Smith now the ball, and he caught all those hitch passes against Auburn that he had to catch that weren't necessarily catches you, that are that are tip-ins. I mean, they, you have to you have to. There's, yeah. there's defenders right on top. He caught everyone. Uh, so they're in very good. They're in the best situation receiving than I think they've been five years. You'd agree with that, I think, right? I I think I think by the end of the year, this is going to be this will be their best receiving core since he's been there. I just think that as as Keandre better started, than sixteen. Well, really, two thousand and sixteen. It was really Godwin. It was really it was it was uh, Mike Kosicki and it was Barkley. Their receiving core, like Irv Charles and Saeed Blacknall, had each had one big moment. But these guys are bringing it, uh, are starting to bring it every week. I think on a consistency basis, I think this is a better group. I do. Deshaun Hamilton had more than one moment. I would think that was 2017 and 2016. His moment was that drop at Pittsburgh. That's that's I think that's unfair. Bob's been very unfair. He was he was very good in 2017 and 2014. He was not as good in 16 and 15. Yeah, he, he had some catches. I think you better go back <laughs> to the Wisconsin game and see. He had some big catches against Wisconsin. Hey, can I, we Dave, uh can we can we just ride this this is not about the current team, but I just want I just have I can't I just can't believe what I'm seeing. How much money is Micah Parsons going to make on his next contract? Oh, my God. How yeah. much money is that guy going to make? I remember. He's unbelievable. The, do you remember the Pitts? Where were we? We were at, at Pittsburgh in the 51 to 6 game. We were in that little little hotel that yeah. uh, Joe got us. Yeah. And it was raining all damn weekend. Right. right? Yes. And I guess he would have been a freshman that year. Uh, yes, that was, his, that was his true freshman year. It was like second or third game. But he was playing a lot. Yeah. And a, a fan came up to me and said, what do you think about the Micah Parsons? He's thinking a lot. And, and I just wait, wait until he quits having to think 
when defenders get in a mode where they're just reacting to what they know is happening. They're, they're, they learn how to read things. They learn how to read patterns. And if they book up and they're smart on the opponent, then they can unleash the fury. And I said, you just wait, <laughs> wait on this guy. He's going to be a handful. And it, it didn't take him long till he got up to speed. But man, uh, did you think I also people people down in Dallas asked me about him as a pro. And I said, I think he's ready made for the NFL. Uh, I think it's going to be terrific. But uh, what did you think of last night? That was pretty, I, I, pretty I impressive. Was so, huh? He was a wrecking yeah, <laughs> I, I was so – I get so mad when the, the people who were, who were doing the draft analysis, when they, would, when, they would, uh, when they would evaluate Micah, they kept calling him an off-the-ball linebacker. Penn State used him in that role, but there were times at Penn State where they turned him loose. And when it, whenever they turned him loose, especially late in the season, he transformed into something otherworldly. He is a lethal 3-4 outside linebacker who can put his hand on the ground and wreck a game plan. The sooner the Cowboys realize who this guy really is, it, it's a ball, it's a wrap. He's transformed that defense. He, he reminds me so much, Dave, of Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack was a linebacker at Buffalo. And then he got a little bit bigger. And he, he developed into an edge rusher that is just, you know, he's now 270 pounds. But when he played at 245, which is the weight that Micah was, he was a little bit more like Micah in college. I just think as this guy gets bigger um, and the fact that he loves the game, like he just loves to play. When you when you can track Jalen Hurts on a, on a zone read <laughs> and spot him a couple of steps and then run him down at 245 pounds, you know, it's time to run up the white flag if you're if you're the offensive coordinator and just try and get away from Micah Parsons. The problem is Dallas has already figured out they can put him in the middle or they could put him outside. Yeah, that's, what gonna, to, that's what I was getting. That's what I was getting to. Him he's, as an edge rusher. He's, if you he's want so to put good. him in coverage, you can. But yeah. as long as he's healthy, he's going to terrorize offenses. He's, he's a versatile, versatile guy. Can you imagine being a defensive coordinator? And having this play thing that you can do anything because he can yeah. play in the middle because yeah. he, he, he loves contact. He doesn't mind. I mean, he doesn't just have to be an edge rusher. He can play in the middle and be be a wrecking ball in there, too. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there was a year, I guess, 2018, where Penn State needed a guy in the middle. And I remember telling you, I, I, I think they should just play him in the middle. Penn State was in a little bit of a bind with Micah because they when they saw him and they saw how they play defense. He was a defensive end at Harrisburg that played, you know, and they they made the commitment to play him. First, they tried him at middle linebacker. Then they moved him to, you know, a box linebacker next to the middle linebacker. But I think that Brent Pryor and James Franklin had figured out late in 2019, like in the Memphis game, the more they blitzed him and used him as a disruptor uh, instead of using him in coverage, the greater the result for the Penn State defense. And had Micah played, Last year, I think you would have seen a little bit more of what Dallas is using him like now because he knew he was comfortable as a linebacker and he could play linebacker, but he could also revert to his defensive end days and his edge rusher days with the Cougars. And now it's just all coming together. One more thing on Micah. The Wait a minute. The guy never gets tired. Yeah, he never gets tired. Yeah. He's never out of breath. Memphis. He's running all over the place. Memphis. I mean, remember Memphis? Yeah. That was yeah. that was a case in point. So tell me this. If if you have to, to name one real and you kind of touched on this a couple weeks ago, that the most difficult job for an offensive player 
that has nothing to do with their prime job. Does that make sense? Are you talking about playing fast? Is that what you're talking about? I'm like talking about trust, running, running backs. I'm oh, talking yeah. about running backs and pass protection. Oh, yeah. Blitz pickups. Right. And can you imagine? <laughs> the, the, see, the hardest thing for those guys to do, it's one thing to be blocking somebody who's just an average outside linebacker. Yeah. Or a defensive end who gets yeah. through. They move a blitzer in. Yeah. The running back has to get that guy. It's a totally other thing to, to have to pick up a 200 and found. Can you imagine trying to block him as a running back? Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Man. It's uh so they, I guess the answer, I think he's like, he's probably going to make about $225 million in his next contract. If I'm Jerry Jones, I might try and extend him now. See, see if he'll take the bait. Is Brian Linder going to get any of that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe he deserves a little bit. I mean, he, he, uh, <laughs> he and Micah are pretty tight. He's, he's written some good stories on Micah for us, obviously, but I just, I just am marveling at, I thought he was one of the two or three best players in the draft, but they don't, when you draft, it's, it's quarterbacks and it's stuff like that. But for him, the last two of the 11th or 12th pick, I don't know what some teams were thinking when he was still on the board and they passed on him. I don't know. They're going to regret it. And yeah, I just, I just, uh, I'm happy to see it. I'm a longtime Cowboys fan and they have not had a guy like this. <laughs> you closest, enjoyed that game last night a little bit. huh? The close, I, I had a couple Coors Lights. The closest thing Dallas has ever had uh, to him, and maybe maybe it's not a fair comparison. The only player that even comes close, Demarcus Ware. Do you remember Demarcus Ware, number ninety four? Yeah, he, was, he played at Troy State. He was an outside linebacker, defensive end type. He played at two fifty. He's probably going to go in the Hall of Fame. And I know he's. I know Mike has only played three games, but that's the vibe I get, and that's the vibe I'm getting off of Micah, a Demarcus. I thought Ware I thought player. you were going to go back to. I, I, I thought you were going to go back to Leroy Jordan or something. I, I think the skill set's not quite the same, by the way, but uh, yeah, not Chuck Howley either, Dave. Chuck Howley, yeah, yeah. Uh, the MVP of Super Bowl five, the only MVP in Super Bowl history on a losing team, 16-13 Colts, Jim O'Brien kicked a field goal, Bob Lilly threw his helmet 70 yards down the Orange Bowl surface, he was so mad, but Dallas won uh, the final year, uh, the next Nobody. year. Nobody, nobody remembers anything good about that game. That's the, worst, the worst Super Bowl of all time. Dallas got, just as Wisconsin is getting Graham Mertz, Dallas got Craig Morton. And so that is now a verb. When your quarterback <laughs> stinks, you just add an ED on their last name and you have a new phrase. And, and right now the most popular one in college football is Graham Mertz. And great, you got Mertz. Well, get off Grand Mertz. Just, I'll get off him. Hey, speak, speak. We got to get off this podcast, man. It's been 35 minutes. We talked a little bit about everything. James Franklin's memory when it comes to streets, Micah Parsons, Penn State, Indiana, Penn State's running game. Dave, any final thoughts? We got to get out of here because we got to come back in a couple of days. Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to come back Thursday. And I think what we'll talk about then is a little more about the offensive line because they have yeah. to show something. Yeah. And we'll get into some explosive plays in the 16% threshold <laughs> and balancing analytics and intuition. And we'll get into all that. Blue White Breakdown Podcast. He's Dave Jones. I'm Bob Saunders. We'll be back later in the week. And we're going to tell you who's going to win Saturday night. I have a funny feeling we're going to pick the same team, but we'll see. See you guys. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live.